Hello, and welcome to the Movie Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll have a spoiler-filled discussion about a movie we think you'll enjoy. For this Father's Day episode, we are doing a movie from 1982, and it is An Officer and a Gentleman. Lead character is Zach Mayo, and no, that is no coincidence. It's amazing, though, how often when I tell people my name, as a joke, they say, oh, as in an officer and a gentleman, thinking there's no connection. It's either that or Mayo Clinic. In yes. Mayo Clinic, yeah, no connection. Uh, but officer and a gentleman, I'm like, yes, exactly. Yeah, I got it within the past three months. Wow. And you know, when I said, yeah, and it is a connection, and they're like, no, really? Yes, really. Yes, we're sort of related to the character. Yeah. Our father went by Jack. This character was named Zach. And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong with this, because you're better with the stories on this than I am. Uh, Dad had worked, you know, obviously in the Navy, career Navy guy, public affairs officer. Part of what he did was approve or deny films that needed, you know, a uh, blessing from the Navy. This being about a naval officer in training and such definitely fell into that category. Dad. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, ended up, I think, rejecting this uh, based on, a, from what you were just telling me, a particular scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were able to get the movie made without the Navy's cooperation. Granted, it probably would have been simpler and easier and more affordable if they had gotten it. But as as part of that, I don't want to say as retribution. Well, that is what it was. Dad denied them any Navy cooperation. Yeah. And when they looked at, they could have filmed on a Navy base. Yeah. Camp Pendleton was one of the ones they got mentioned. And they would not have been charged a locations fee to film there. They wouldn't have had that. They would have had all the extras in the background already in uniform and all that. I mean, it it would have been a big boon to them. There was speculation that the film cost a million dollars more than it otherwise would have. Mm Mm-hmm. Because dad denied them Navy cooperation. And we're talking 1982, a million dollars. Well, it, it released in 82, so maybe a year or two earlier. It's still much more than it would have been. I mean, a million now is a lot, but back then, yeah, way more. So the producers from the film decided that they thought they could get dad in trouble with his commanding officers if they made it look like dad had denied them official permission and then he'd gone behind their back and been working with them on the sly. Mm-hmm. So they sent him the paperwork to sign off on his name could be used in the film following military rules and regs, which meant at least one letter in his name had to be changed, which is how you go from Jack to Zach. Mm-hmm. Okay. But dad, being a genuine officer and a gentleman, didn't want to simply sign the paperwork and send it back. He ran the paperwork up the chain of command. Yeah. And got permission to sign the paperwork and send it back. I hadn't realized he was actually the one. I had thought they had maybe found a Zach Mayo. But no, okay, that's funny. No, they actually had dad sign the paperwork authorizing permission. And they never imagined he would run it up the chain of command. Because who in their right mind would do that? Well, this is where they were projecting how they would have done it versus how somebody else would do it. Exactly. Exactly. But it was always such a joke with dad 
that in trying to get him in trouble, they proved Dad was an officer and a gentleman. Mm -hmm. And thus they named the character Wright. Yeah, which is hilarious. This was a big movie in 1982. Mm -hmm. It won a ton of awards. Louis Gossett Jr. got, a, I believe, an award for his role. I'm trying to think if it got like Best Picture or something like that. But it is, from, from what I know, it did well. It did huge in terms of the music from it was on the radio. Yes. I mean, for years afterwards, girls were saying, I want to be Deborah Winger at the end of An Officer and a Gentleman. Well, you know, it's funny because, I mean, this came out in 1982. Dad obviously had that connection. No, obviously. I mean, now that we've explained it, it should be obvious to the listeners. I've never seen the movie before. I've seen, I think, clips, like particularly the one where Louis Gossett Jr. is introducing himself to that first batch of, of mm. trainees and such. It's kind of, you know, how can you have an A Mayo and not get shown that at some point in your life? Um, but I have never seen, I think, the entire movie stem to stern. I have seen... And apparently, you had told me after we watched it, before we recorded, that there is a slightly abbreviated... There is a TV-friendly one. Yes. I we should mention that there is an R-rated version of this, and I know it aired on TV with about six minutes removed. I've done a little research on Wikipedia, IMDb. I would presume that's available in video, uh, DVD format, or, or whatnot. I haven't actually checked that. Well... I had seen the family-friendly version. I'll it was, put it that way. It was at like Blockbuster and stuff back in the day, so mm -hmm. it had to have a family-friendly version. Right. And when it came out on videotape, Dad, first he rented the videotape, very excited, and you know, Mom and I watched it with him, and that was when I got a lot of the stories from him mm -hmm. of, you know, they could have shot that at Camp Pendleton instead of having to find a location. That looked like a military base. My understanding is they found a former military base and used that. Mm -hmm. But again, how much easier would it have been if, if they could have gotten, you know, Navy approval? Yeah. Well, and I mean, dad was literally sitting there kind of check marking off, okay, daily rental for location. Yeah. Versus we were offering them, I think he said like three months they could film on a military base. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you go to the extras. Okay, you would have had to pay for their time. Yep. But they would provide their own uniform. But doing that, it, you need to be in the vicinity of a Navy base to have enough people that would be willing to do mm -hmm. it, etc. So, yeah. Well, and because they did not have Navy cooperation, Navy personnel were told, you can't just go be extras in this film on your off time. Yeah, yeah. Because it would imply an endorsement. By exactly. The Navy. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So, dad had just kind of run off the checklist. And then when we got to the scene that he had said, if they would have just not done that scene or, and he had given the script writers and the producers, this is how you can change it. Yeah. I remember dad telling me a number of stories more about the final countdown where yes. he was basically working with the writers as they were still kind of figuring out part of the story and he had apparently worked with them if it's like yeah you know it's your story and stuff but here are some options mm -hmm. and again trying to work with them to get the movies and tv shows made yeah because again you look at something like this when it came out top gun probably being the best example they can be such a recruiting 
a bonus for the Navy and such. Yeah. If it shows them in a good light, if it's a good film and all of that. I mean, if it's if it shows the Navy in a great light and it's a lousy film, that doesn't do anybody any good. No. And it's funny because as we were watching it tonight, there were things where I'm like, wow. I mean, I watched this as early teenager-ish and stuff. Well, and to go back to the videotapes briefly, once Dad had shown it to us on video and decided, okay, it's as good as I remember it being, it holds up. Dad would have us watching for it on sale, on mm. videotape. And when it was down at a price he thought was reasonable, he would pick, pick up five or ten and give them as gifts to people. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. So, like, when people would come and speak at his Rotary Club mm -hmm. as one of his guests, he'd say, as a thank you from the officer and gentleman who invited you. Yeah. It's, it's a memorable thing. Uh-huh. It, it really sinks it into the memory. And when they realize, wait, the character name is Mayo. Yeah. It, again, doubles the association. That's yeah. hilarious. So he used it for uh, PRSA, the Public Relations Society of America gifts, and all kinds of stuff like that. You know, and Navy League yeah. gifts, and too. Yeah. So, so for Dad, it turned out to be kind of a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. But part of that was because, especially within the Navy, People appreciate he'd run it up the chain of command so he didn't get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. They thought he would. But going back to our dad's background briefly, I mean, when dad was in college in, what's that, the late 50s, early 60s, he was writing radio programs for his college radio station that were good enough. They got picked up by NPR. Yeah. So dad had a good mind for story, for dialogue, for pacing. Well, and he was also very media savvy. Yeah. Having worked at the, the college radio station, having worked at a, a radio and TV station in Austin, mm -hmm. and then by the time he was doing the approval for this kind of a stuff, that was years later, he'd been in aspects of the, the entertainment business, so he understood some of that reality of it, it's not just from an intellectual point of view or a theoretical point of view, oh, this makes the Navy look bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. He understood there are going to be certain things you need to do narratively yeah. to make a, a story work. Well, and as we watched it tonight, I mean, I remembered as a preteen dad saying that they had really captured reality. Mm -hmm. They had captured how the drill instructors really break you down before they build you back up. Yeah. But that it's very important if you're going to show how the drill instructors break you down, that they also make sure to show that they build you back up. Well, and also when those trainees were saying their goodbyes to the drill instructor kind of a thing, you saw the bond that they had developed. Yeah. They didn't hate this guy. They were thankful for the experience that he helped get them through it and such. Yeah. And granted, you only see that from the people who succeed in the path, not those that got you know cast to the wayside. They may not have liked the drill instructor so much, but yeah, you know, it was it was an interesting film because you know, from a Navy point of view, they were only in the Navy thirteen weeks at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just signed up for the officer program. But Dad's perspective was that we don't forget about you. We don't simply cast you aside and never think about you yeah. again. We. Uh, do everything we can to avoid someone falling through the cracks. Well, I would imagine one of the story liberties they may have taken when they were doing the final obstacle course run mm. 
and Zack Mayo goes back to help one of the other people. That may not have been the most realistic thing, but it showed the right message. It gave the right go for the team, not the single win kind of attitude. The reason that worked for me so well is because he doesn't pull the rope to help her up. Mm -hmm. He doesn't push from the bottom. He is by her side, talking her through it, cheering her on. Even when she gets one leg over the top of the wall, he's still making her pull herself over and know she's done it herself. He's helping her do it, not doing it for her. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that played well. He was the good angel versus the drill instructor sort of approach to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, at least it seemed that way, that's what the drill instructor appreciated. Yeah. Well, in many ways, it's a coming of age story. Mm -hmm. You know, we tend to think of coming of age as more of the 15 or 16 year old stories where they're just entering adulthood. But it was very much somebody finding their way in life and, and who they are. Yeah. I would, I would definitely agree. And you're right. It is about a decade older than a typical coming-of-age story. Mm -hmm. But it did work on, on those levels. This is somebody going from the irresponsible childishness of, we assume, college, because he just got his graduation gift, mm -hmm. and you have to be a college graduate to go to officer tra training. Okay. We don't even know what he got a degree in, where he got it from, because he was in... Seattle. Seattle at that point, but we don't even know if that's where he'd gone to college. I right. Mean, really, this character, other than his mom dying, him getting sent to his dad overseas, he is a blank slate coming into this. Mm -hmm. He's the son of an enlisted man. Yeah. And they don't play up that chip on his shoulder all that much. I was surprised the father didn't show up at the end in any way, shape, or form. There wasn't, yeah. e I mean, there were half a dozen things they could have done with the father of he dies halfway through, you know, the movie or whatever. And there's the, does it matter to him or not? Sort mm -hmm. of, I mean, they none of that. Yeah. The father's there at the beginning, sets him up. The guy's going to go off to, you know, he's joining the Navy. Boom. Never see the father again. Never hear of the father again. I was going to say, there's not even mention of, I mean, there was some comment about, you know, others going off to run and hug someone. But yeah. no comment of, you know, not like my dad was going to show. Yeah, exactly. Not even a mention in his absence sort of a thing, which yeah. was interesting. Yeah. And the father was played by Robert Loja, who, of mm -hmm. course, had done a ton of stuff. We got another, a, a number of familiar, I mean, Richard Gere, obviously, is, is Zach Mayo. has done quite a bit after this. And people wonder why, I joke, Richard Gere played my dad in a movie. Yeah. Deborah Winger, who was the lead female and stuff in here. The love interest, she was Wonder Girl in the Wonder Woman series, which kind I thought was amazing. funny. Victor French mm -hmm. was in Little House on the Prairie, Highway to Heaven, one or two other things, I think, with Michael Landon and such. Mm -hmm. uh, David Caruso from- um, CSI Miami. CSI Miami played one of the roommates who gets washed out early on, just to show that not everyone makes it through. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were quite a few familiar faces. Mm -hmm. uh, granted, it's been 40 years, so... True. They've had time to become familiar faces after this, even if they weren't at the time. But not every film manages to cast such a handful of people. I mean, David Keith. Yeah. Tony Plana, who we saw on Lethal Weapon, well, and the it's TV funny. series. We'd seen him a couple of years back in, in 
the first season or two of, of the Lethal Weapon TV series. And then when he shows up here, and then you you dug up on IMDb or whatever we were watching, that's mm-hmm. what it was. And the next time I see him, I'm like, you know, I see it now. I never would have put two and two together necessarily. Yeah, 40 years younger. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there were, it was a good cat. Louis Gossett Jr., of course, great, great actor. Yes. And I mean, this is one of his standout roles, and rightfully so. Yes. He did a, a wonderful job in it. So definitely, I can see where this was a, a milestone role for him or, or, or memorable one or whatnot. But yeah. Wait, it's funny because on the one hand, you want to think when the script went to dad for approval, it was fully written. It must have been. It went to dad for approval. Clearly, it had a different character name at the time, and I'm really curious what that character name was. Yeah, me too. But on the other hand, I know it had to have been, you know, retyped at least once because they changed the character name. Well, and this was at a time, well, I was going to say you couldn't do it in a word processor. I mean, technically you could have because those were around, well, in 82, were they? Uh, I think WordStar was around at the time. In theory, a high-tech script writer could have done just a search and replace. Pretty sure that didn't happen and somebody had to manually go rekey the whole thing. That had to suck. But I can't help but wonder if some of Dad's comments resonated to a degree. Because what we watched, it has aspects of what Dad wanted. Mm -hmm. In terms of it has the drill instructor saying, not in these words, but saying, I'm not the one who gave up on him. Yeah. And a few things like that. Yeah, I can see where overall it did a good job representing the Navy. But I can also see the particular scene that Dad... It's not that he wouldn't have liked, but I can definitely see not approving it. Mm -hmm. Because that's not the light you want to uh, portray Navy personnel in. Who in their right mind is going to go to officer training... If they think that scene is how it can end. Yes, yes. Looking at it from just that strictly theoretical recruitment point of view, if Mm -hmm. nothing else. Yeah. And it's funny because there are other shows and movies you'll watch and you look at the IMDb page and like, oh, they've got the the, the ribbons on the uniform all wrong or this isn't the way that would be in the the, either the the way the people would salute or who would have sat where or, or the very... I don't say minutia, the details, the nuances that somebody in the military life would definitely pick up on. The ribbons one always amuses me because I don't know where it's written, how it's written, but at least one thing on the uniform must be wrong. Mm. That way, when somebody in the know looks at it, they can differentiate between actual military footage yeah, and that's entertainment. Funny. That's funny. It's kind of a intentional error to yeah. pick it up to identify it later. So Hollywood is required to have one thing on the uniform wrong. Yeah. At all times. Every character, every scene. Well, and for the majority of us, we're not going to notice. Exactly. I mean, there comes a point where an error is pretty glaring. And I'm like, yeah, because I, I see this all the time with like computer technology and various shows. Where they do the, here's an uber grainy thing, and not only are we going to clean it up, we're going to zoom in 100%. And it's like, it doesn't work that way, but okay. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, it was also interesting watching the movie because the right where you belong or right where I belong or whatever that 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 key yeah. chunk of the music was in the the movie a number of places. Oh, it was beautifully woven in. It was. It was it was it's like I recognize the tune and stuff, but it's not like uh Driving Miss Daisy has a very signature aspect to the music. Mm-hmm. But you recognize it from seeing the movie you don't know it going into the movie mm-hmm. whereas here while it may have been that way originally of this is where the, the 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 song and whatnot originated from possibly here i am 40 years after the movie came out having heard the song all over not necessarily having us ever associated it with the film but then here it's showing up left right center and stuff and it's like great orchestration and stuff it it fit yeah. the movie it fit the moments yes but it was kind of funny and a little noticeable yeah. And not in a bad way. No, but it's something that current movies don't really do as well. Using the recurring musical themes to tie scenes and plot lines together. That's one of the things that I really enjoy about the Super Sentai shows. They've got the the theme music for the season. And in some of the seasons where I think their music people are just more on the ball than maybe other seasons... Uh, Gokaiger is a great example of this. It had a great theme song, and they weaved it in so many episodes. And there's the usual, okay, the heroes are going into action, let's strike up the band kind of a thing. But then there are other times where they'll slow it down. Now it's on a, a piano keyboard kind of a thing, and it's a little melancholy or a little romantic or a little introspective or something. Mm-hmm. And just the number of moods they can really reinforce. With the same music. Yeah. Just by how they play it, the speed they play it at, and stuff like that, the strength they play it at. Because they'll have some where it's like, okay, the heroes are kind of down and it's playing softly, but oh, they're getting up their courage. They're they're gonna, you know, pick themselves up and, and fight back, and the music kicks into a higher gear and such. So having a film that is able to have that I don't want to say musical identity, mm-hmm. but to to have that that same chunks reused and woven in to kind of reinforce the moments and stuff i I enjoy it yeah to me it's kind of a thoughtfulness on the directing and editing level Mm -hmm. that we we don't get as much anymore i mean early seasons of murder she wrote the main character had her own little musical cue and when she would go riding her bike around cabot cove it would play and that kind of thing that's kind of what I think most people would associate as the signature murder she wrote music. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I've seen a couple of YouTube videos over the years about how with movies they will do the rough edit, they'll put placeholder music in, which kind of influences the edit, but they can't use that music. So they wind up using something that I don't want to say is a carbon copy of it, but follows the same musical pattern, if you will. Yeah. I mean, we've seen a couple of trailers where it's clearly this is an early cut. That's Stargate music. Yes. And when it comes out, it doesn't have Stargate music, but it is Stargate-ish music. Mm-hmm. You know, and how there's an almost homogeny of stuff because they used placeholder music, because they they couldn't use it, but they had to retool it. But they couldn't retool it too much because it had to fit the edit they'd already done with the other music. And Yeah. And again, this... I would assume they went at least into the editing with the kind of the music cues they wanted. And it's like, okay, let's let's do it here. Let's build it up this way. Yeah. And 
I think it helps tie the entire movie together. Well, it's funny because on the surface, this appears a pretty simple movie. Mm-hmm. But I think by putting Warley and Mayo both in relationships with local girls. Yes. One that goes not so good, one that goes better. Yeah. And having those two girls be friends who confide in each other and give us kind of insights, they took it up a level. Well, you got to see not just the here's a story that could go down one path. You see almost the same story going both directions. Yeah. And that gives it a certain amount of, of balance or whatever. In mm-hmm. an almost there, but for the grace of God, go I kind of approach to it. Well, and it's funny you say that because when we get to that grand finale scene where every girl wants to be Deborah Winger, you know, I had been, when I watched it as a teenager, sort of so enthralled with the, oh, the Prince Charming is exactly. coming for her type feeling that I don't recall noticing oh, wow, mom's working on the factory floor too and she's coming to see what it is. Oh, Lynette is stopping and is actually cheering for her and realizing I could have had that too. With the mom, we'd already found out her backstory Mm -hmm. of not having gotten the Mm -hmm. guy at the end. Yeah. So seeing her daughter going down a similar path but her story working out Mm -hmm. gave the mom a very subtle and almost underplayed, but their subplot. Yes. And character arc. And then with Lynette and such, her arc had pretty much played out, but she's at least able to let somebody else have the happy ending. Well, but also to recognize what she could have had. Yes. Yes. And to have that that moment purely in reaction shots of regrets. It was really what, 15, 20 seconds tops of her, the end of her character arc. Mm -hmm. And they could have easily done that whole scene without her there, without that moment. And her arc had already played out, but this had it end on an upbeat note, surprisingly. Yes. Yes. Well, it showed her as the good friend. Yes. And it showed her as... Still having some hope and some some light left in her. Well, I was going to say more than that, as... You, If you stopped earlier, I don't want to say she looked like a gold digger, because that's harsh mm. and un- harsher than necessary. Yes, yes. And in that sense, feels unfair. Her story doesn't end happy if you ended it earlier. Right. Because there was the, the door closed on her story, literally. Yes. And it's like, yeah, you end it there, she doesn't come out looking good. Yeah. You end it this way, it's not that it redeems the character, but it allows us to see the fuller picture of the character. Yeah. Well, and it shows that she has enough heart to recognize she made mistakes. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I'll give the writers credit for, particularly at the scene when Zach is having dinner with the family, dad staring at her and all that stuff. Afterwards, when we get some of the explanation on that, we get a sudden backstory of how this story played out literally a generation earlier. Mm -hmm. Navy guy comes in, you know, has a relationship doesn't stick around, another guy comes in, here's the the family that happened and stuff like that, and how that's having ramifications literally a generation later. And Zach's like, oh, I understand why he was looking at me the way he was and all of this. And really, in the span of what technically is mostly exposition, we get a condensed, you know, previous generation level of the story and stuff that lays in and explains various interactions, how certain people are 
are reacting to situations and stuff allows that moment with the mom at the factory at the end to, mm-hmm. to have the meaning it does. Mm-hmm. And that was something that in lesser hands would have just felt like, oh, we got to get the backstory and the exposition. Let's pause everything, dump it out, move on. Doesn't matter. It also allowed uh, the mother and daughter to have the other scene out in the parking lot at the factory. Yes. Yes, it did. Which was a, just a very good don't run to him now because you probably can't trust yourself with what you might say. Yeah. Is what it came down to. Well, it built a relationship between the mother and the daughter that facilitated that scene mm-hmm. and, and in a way that would have been almost impossible any other way. Mm-hmm. So there was some some writing aspects. There was some really thoughtful writing in this. Yeah, they made some interesting and I think somewhat unorthodox decisions that really made this uh, a tighter story than it would have been otherwise. Yeah. If you had taken out that dinner scene and explanation, you lose the entire backstory on the girlfriend's parents. If you were to take out Worley's side of things, you lose the it could have gone either way aspect. And it becomes a much more trite story. Yeah. But by having those levels and stuff in there, it definitely, I think, resonates to a wider audience and has a lot more meat on the bone to the story. Because mm-hmm. they weren't just telling, here is the story. They were allowing the world to be a lot more realized than it, frankly, had any right to be in some degree. One of the things that they put in there, that on the one hand appears blatant, but on the other hand, I think was actually more subtle than it comes across is the topic of abortion. Mm. And I say it that way because when Lynette tells Worley I'm pregnant or mm-hmm. implies it, it's her, and abortion gets brought up a lot of times Yes, by a few characters. And there's almost, I don't want to say a heavy handed, but a very much a, she can just have an abortion. I'll be there for her if she has an abortion. And it, it was just taken as a given. Here's the path to go down. Yes. Okay. But, What's going unsaid is that that's not the option that Paula, Deborah Winger's mother, took. That that's not the conversation she seems to have had because it wouldn't have been legal 22 years before. Well, there were a few other stories that I think if they were to try to retell this today would play out differently. Now, not getting into the politics and all of that. The abortion side of it, how it would play out if they filmed it today versus who knows a few years from now or even a year from now, could be very different. Well, but I think to the audience in 1982, our parents, for instance, yes, it was a very obvious, we're just reminding people, the option exists, not to say they should take it. But it was there and something that could just be, yeah, let's go do it, versus for the previous generation, not an option at all. And For those who did do it illegally, it was usually either a death sentence or the medical complications or things you don't want to know about. But if they had done a a version of this two, three years ago kind of a thing, again, that part of the storyline would would be able to be done the same way but be interpreted differently Mm -hmm. because everyone in the current generation would be, well, yeah, of course. It's always been that way sort of attitude Yes. versus the nah, talk to your parents kind of a thing. It wasn't that way back in the 80s. Yeah. There were also a couple of lines that I felt were a little more racist than might be acceptable today, particularly the opening drill sergeant scene. Yeah. Uh, Now, granted, this did have an R rating, so it gets a little 
I don't say leeway from that, but it was it was rated as such. Mm-hmm. You know, I do think there were a few things that might play differently or be written differently today than it would have been. You know, obviously when it was done forty years ago. I wondered about that, but the thing is, I wonder. I'm not informed enough about how drill sergeants are doing things now. I don't know, but I think every movie, every story is a product of its time. Mm-hmm. And that's not to excuse anything, but it is to say that if you were to try to tell the same core story decades earlier or later, you're going to be doing it through the lens of the society of the time. Or if you take the same story and try to tell it in a different culture. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we heard or seen cases where there's this British show and we try to make an American version of it and it works beautifully or it fell apart entirely? Mm-hmm. Different, and a lot of them are sitcoms, different sensibilities, etc. So with this one, how the Navy is portrayed, how the Navy acts 40 years later would be a little different, mm-hmm. you know. But it is humorous to me that one of the lines the drill sergeant got away with is still entirely accurate. Which is, you have to give us six years of your life yes. before you can go work for United Airlines. Yeah, yeah, that that was kind of funny. I mean, that is still a very real joke, but it's also very true that our airlines are still hiring well, our military pilots. The line he also had was basically, I'm going to tear you down and, and do it you know, every way I can, fair or unfair. But at the end of this, the prize you get is a million dollars worth of, of training. Yeah. In other words, we're going to have a, a very tight gatekeeping process here because what we are offering you if you make it through this has a very clear, tangible value Yeah. not to be taken lightly. I think one of the things that I really appreciated was them taking the time to put in a scene where the drill sergeant explains why he can't understand Mayo being there. That, you know, your mom's dead, your dad's mm-hmm. a drunk who lives above bars with prostitutes. I mean, nothing about you screams officer. Yeah. Nothing about you screams officer. Well, and this candidate. is when he was giving why he, he was there. Mm-hmm. Very interesting uh, scene. And definitely I felt a turning point in how those two characters interacted. Yeah, a turning point for both of them, but also going back to what Dad had said about they break you all the way down. Yeah. That was that point where Mayo is broken all the way down and starts getting built back up. At that point, I don't think up until that moment that character knew why he was there. And that's very possible. Yes. So they did some, again, some interesting stuff on the writing. I would love to know the writer's take with the uh, polished belt buckles. I'm curious what military background, if any, the writers had and what prompted them to write the story to begin with. Mm. What was coloring their decisions, both the ones dad agreed with mm-hmm. and the ones that made him say, no, we're not going to approve this. Mm-hmm. And why, when offered, here are some options, they, they stuck to you know what they had or, or the direction they went. The impression dad had for why they stuck with that scene was, and I don't want to say it was like, you know, their million dollar scene, but you know what I meant? That was their... It was 
it was a moment, a dramatic moment. And story-wise, I can see... It was their shock that no one else would do that they'd come up with. And they felt that their characters had earned. Well, and I can see if you take that out, it changes things. Mm-hmm. It's... Uh, I can definitely see where... And there's there's the writing adage of kill your darlings and stuff. Oh, but that's our darling scene. We can't take it out kind of a thing. Maybe they should have. Maybe they shouldn't have. And um, I, I think if you took that out... The way the story progresses changes radically, and it it does weaken it. Dad wanted Mayo to arrive soon enough. Got it. If 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 they had changed the timing a little, mm-hmm. he want- the the way things exit the scene, the other character exits the scene would be in a different right. Uh, he wanted manner. Mayo to arrive soon enough. He didn't want Mayo to be the only Navy person searching. Mm, yeah, the, there the, was an opportunity to bring in the other roommate and a few others. He wanted the drill sergeant to have organized with Mayo. They're all looking. Yeah, I can see that. Because we leave no man behind. And to him, they ended up with a scene where we abandoned a man and left him behind. Well, not only that, but then the confrontation Mayo and the drill sergeant have would have not been the way it was and i think they could have if if the other scene had like you said played out mayo gets there earlier things go differently that and and the drill sergeant and the other people had helped out that changes the one scene in the uh the hangar mm-hmm. almost obliviates the need for it and i think you could have gotten to the graduation ceremony a lot smoother and still, you know, having the character go through the ringer and stuff, because, I mean, it's what stories are for. But would that have... If, how would the movie have been received if that had been done versus how it was received the way it was done? And that's that's impossible to know. Right. See, my thing is, if the drill sergeant and Mayo and all of their unit, whatever this is... Well, if they had acted as a team. Exactly. So it would have been... Really, the ultimate, they finally all came together as a team. Yeah. I mean, at most, we'd seen two or three people helping each other, but we never got a true team moment. Well, it would have also given the character, uh, Zach, a chance to be the leader Mm -hmm. he kind of sort of needed to become. Yeah. So I could definitely see where Dad was coming from on that. So it would have completed the coming of age. For me, I think that. There's getting there in time, and, I mean, he's still severely injured. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm trying not to give too much I of know, the key scene but away, but yeah, it, it changes the other character's arc, and it does it in a way, though, depending how you want to take it, he could still exit the story at that point. But I think if they had put him into kind of the injured and needing the emotional support... Then you've still got Mayo blaming himself for not getting there soon enough. Well, not only that, but it gives an option for the Lynette character Mm -hmm. to go down a slightly different path and, I don't want to say redeem herself, but yeah, there there are a couple of different ways the story could play. And you still could have had the fight in the hangar, only instead of the way it played out, you could have had another one of the training sessions where the drill sergeant flat out starts with, I know we all have some anger and emotion. We've got we some need energy to work we through. need to work through and lets him work it out that way. Yeah. Yes. 
I think that would have felt a little more organic than the way it went down. Because the way it went down to me felt like if you had told me that was the scene dad objected to in the hangar, I'd have been, well, yeah, of course. It's funny because, you know, here I am, an adult. I'm probably fairly close to the age dad was. I mean, I'd have to do the math, but I'm not that far off from the age dad was when he said no. I think you're a little... A little older? Older. Yeah. You know, so to me, it's kind of funny to think I haven't watched this since I was a teenager. Yeah. And now I here I am so much closer to mentally dad's, That's if funny. not mindset, you know, perspective. And as we're watching it, I'm like, wow. And dad didn't object to that because he recognized the movie needed reality. Yeah, there are a couple of things that it's not all going to be sunshine and roses. There are going to be certain things that have to happen narratively to have a story. Yeah. Certain people either have to do stupid things or do the wrong thing or make a mistake or whatever. You know, dad wasn't trying to impose his opinions, his morals, yeah. his preferences for language yeah, or anything like that, which... When you look at it and you say, you know, if dad could have had a movie that was his ideal universe, then I don't think he would have wanted certain body parts shown. I was going to say, there were certain parts of this that I could see. <laughs> yeah. In um, dad's ideal universe, I can't imagine him wanting a rated R movie. I was going to say, the copies he gave out, I imagine, were not the R-rated version. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple of scenes that it's like, okay. And that could just be a daughter's view of her father, too. But, you know, I just don't well, envision my dad that way. There is an aspect where at least my viewing of this is going to be different than, say, the listener's yes. viewing of the same film. Because I'm going through it with a character being called Mayo the entire time, mm -hmm. knowing it's at least named based on my dad. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just a little mm -hmm. weird in that respect. Well, and knowing that the writers came out of dealing with dad, frustrated and irritated that he was such an officer and a gentleman. Mm -hmm. And I just always found that beautifully ironic. Well, and, and this character is, the way he acts, his history and stuff, not the least bit based on our father at all. Oh, no. It's just the name. Yeah. But again, hearing the name over and, you know, it's, yeah. it's hard to have a, a, I don't say a disassociation with it, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Just a little, little different. Well, and there's an aspect as I watch it of, you know, wanting the character to, for lack of a better expression, grow up to be my dad. You know, wanting to watch him evolve into yeah. an officer and a gentleman. And there are steps along the way, which is why I go back to the, uh, the belt buckles polish scene of, you know, was he simply trying to aggravate his roommate when he's saying, I don't want you to get an honor violation? No, I or think he was- Or is he sincere? I think he was a little annoyed by the roommate almost threatening him mm -hmm. with the honor violation. It's like, well, if, if you're going to be judgmental, I'm not going to help you. No, not that time. Oh. The second time. When his roommate needed a buckle and the drill instructor was already on their floor doing inspections. I think at that point it was legit. I don't- it, It's too soon. It's too risky. You know, and the fact that we see the instructor out in the hallway overhearing part of this. Yes, which proves it was too risky and yeah. Yes, but there's that aspect of kind of, was Mayo sincere 
in not wanting his teammate to get an honor violation? Or was he covering his own behind? Yeah. Because it played both ways, unfortunately. There's a lot of interpretation to be had on that scene. I don't think there's a right answer to be had as to... And again, I'm curious, what was the writer's intent? Yeah. And part of that is because he was still growing and evolving. It played both ways. Well, and again, the character of Zach Mayo at the beginning, the character there at the end changed. Yeah. He had a definite arc and a realization a good ways into the thing that he was undergoing that arc. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was a powerful moment too. Mm-hmm. You know, the realization I'm not the character I was at the beginning of the film. And he didn't phrase it that way, of no. course, but yeah. Well, but also the realization of, I don't know who I want to be. Mm-hmm. Well, and there was a line or two early on where he had thought, go here, go to flight school, go to the next post after that, which I forget what that was. And that was as far as his life plan went. Yeah. He didn't have any sense of building a family or having a future or anything of the sort. I think all he knew was he didn't want to grow up and be his dad. Yeah. Yeah. But when you think about it, I think that's something a lot of teenagers can relate to. Going back to the coming of age feeling of the film. Well, and the girlfriend's line of, if I'm going to be a mom, I don't want to do it how my mom did it. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to know what you don't want. It's another thing to know what you do want. And that's Mm -hmm. the more powerful and more important thing. Mm -hmm. So they they covered a ton of ground in this film and got a lot of substance into it. Well, and Lynette, with her whole, don't you ever feel like the officer training candidates are using us? Yeah. And then near the end of the film, her, not quite, but pretty close to saying she was using one of them. Yes. Yes. There was an aspect of that whole arc and that character that I felt was a little uh, eerie on a few levels of basically claiming, well, we're being used on this, so it's okay for us to use them almost. And mm-hmm. the the mindset of, I mean, here were girls going to, you know, the dance at the uh, the naval place and stuff like that to, to meet eligible bachelors, which is one thing, but to be doing it to almost entrap somebody to be a husband takes it to a a different level, and she definitely crossed into that area. There were aspects of the film that were almost throwbacks to years before. Yeah. You know, and part of that is the film was that just far enough after Vietnam Mm -hmm. that I think it was more of the 10 and 15 years before where it's, you know, my brother was set on marrying this girl And I don't know what to do other than to kind of fulfill his promise. Well, the fact this was close enough after Vietnam that a lot of these characters had lost an older brother or family member or something like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, it definitely, it's one of those things, if you look at it just as a surface level, it's like, yeah, it's okay or whatever. If you look at what they've done with the characters, the the themes they tried to play around with, build in and, and some of that. You realize there actually is a lot more subtext and, and substance to this yeah. than it may look like at first glance. Yeah. And it's a fun film. Yeah, it is. And, and I'm not going to say it's the biggest action film. It's not. It's, it's character romance kind of a thing. No, but like I said at the time, every girl wanted to be Deborah Winger at the end of the film. It, it certainly hit the uh, the romantic ending, uh, you know, happily ever after moment there at the end. I mean, that that final scene was 
the high bar for quite a while. And lead two characters, I don't think, said a single word. I mean, during most of it, if not, I'm not even sure if they said during any of it. He's walking in. You got the music playing. It's kicking into high gear. You get the moments. You get the reaction shots of mom. You get Lynette saying some stuff. And it ends on literally they're walking into the sunset virtually. Mm -hmm. Well, he swept her off her feet. Swept her off her feet and walks off into the sunset almost. Yeah. I mean, let's. It definitely, yeah, hit the, um, that, that dream romance sort of those buttons and stuff very intentionally, very blatantly, but very effectively too. Yes. It's not, oh, geez, how cheesy. It's like, ah, okay, they've, they've built to the moment. They've, they've earned that moment. Mm -hmm. And again, using the same music cues they've been using before, cut to the credits, we actually get the full song. Well, and she had confidence he would graduate all along, yes. even when he was giving up on himself. She had believed in him, and yeah, it, it really played out in a fairly interesting yeah. interesting way. I mean, do you expect, you know, them to not get together at the end? I mean, come on, it's this kind of a movie. You expect the, the couple to, mm-hmm. to at least have the heavily ever after uh, when the credits hit. Whether they keep it after that, never know. Yeah. Happily but for now. Happily for now. It's not like they're going to do an officer and a gentleman to, or an officer and a gentleman and a lady, or, you know, <laughs> officer and a gentleman and a baby, or, you know. <laughs> really? The sequel titles abound. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad they didn't do that. Uh, not every film needs a sequel. Uh, one where he actually, I don't know, gets to fly would be interesting. Of course, we've got Top Gun for that. And now Top Gun Maverick, I think. Yeah. At some point, we'll need to go do those. Yeah. I don't think Dad necessarily had anything to do with Top Gun per se, but having grown up in San Diego, having literally been on the flight line at Fighter Town USA while it was flight, mm-hmm. you know, Fighter Town USA and such. Yeah. Because they did the uh, the Naval Air shows with the Blue Angels and stuff there and, and whatnot, so that was interesting. We'll have to do that at some point. Yeah. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.